We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps, and I'm joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Bures of the China Post. Hi, good evening. And on the telephone by regular commentator Donovan Smith in Taichung. Great to be back. Tonight we'll be discussing more imported coronavirus cases, the loosening of quarantine rules for business travellers, over 2,000 foreign students who are graduating this year being allowed to return to Taiwan soon, a ban on the entry of Chinese children across straight marriages remaining in place, fresh pork product exports to resume, the DPP naming its candidate for the Kaohsiung mayoral by-election, Taiwan getting a mention in the new memoir written by former US National Security Advisor John Bolton, a proposal to legalise prostitution in Zhanghua, and the Daja Matsu pilgrimage, proving more peaceful than in the past years as it wraps up this weekend. But we'll begin where we didn't go last week, that being sadly the return of the coronavirus. And the Central Epidemic Command Centre on Monday confirmed two new imported coronavirus cases and on Thursday confirmed another case of the virus. And that brings the total number here in Taiwan since the outbreak began to 446 as of the time we're recording the show. Health officials say all three patients returned to Taiwan from Bangladesh on the same flight via Malaysia on June the 13th. Health officials say all three patients returned to Taiwan from Bangladesh on the same flight via Malaysia on June the 13th. Now, the government announced this week that business travellers arriving from certain countries will be allowed to apply to shorten the length of their mandatory 14-day quarantine on entering Taiwan from June the 22nd. The revised rules apply to travellers who have received permission to enter Taiwan, plan to spend less than three months here and visit with the purpose of conducting short-term business activities. They must, however, have departed from a country or zone classified as having a low or low to moderate coronavirus risk infection and must not have travelled to any other countries in the past 14 days. Now the policy will allow travellers arriving from countries classified as low risk to apply to their quarantine accommodation for a self-paid coronavirus test on the fifth day after their arrival and to come out of quarantine if they pass that test and it's negative. While travellers arriving from countries classified as low to moderate risk can apply for the test on the seventh day after their arrival. However, all business travellers released from quarantine will still have to follow self-health management protocols for 21 days after their arrival. Meanwhile, Education Minister Pan Wenjong said that 2,238 foreign students from 11 countries and areas who are graduating this year will be allowed to return to Taiwan soon. They have, of course, been banned from returning here for more than three months due to border control measures which were imposed in March. Now, according to Pan, students now residing in 11 low-risk countries and areas will be allowed to return to Taiwan in several groups. And the Ministry of Education says 90% of the students being allowed to return are from Hong Kong, Macau and Vietnam. Nam, but they will be required to go into quarantine for 14 days at hotels booked by their schools and approved by education ministry officials on their arrival. Chinese students, needless to say, are not included in the list. And talking of China, a parents' association this week called on the government to allow the return of their Chinese children who have been stranded in China since February. Chinese children from cross-strait marriages who do not hold Taiwanese passports have been denied entry since the coronavirus border control measures were implemented here in Taiwan. Now, the Cross-Strait Marriage Harmony Promotion Association says that's resulted in many of the children being separated from their families and unable to return to school. The government, though, has said that any decision on lifting the entry restrictions on those Chinese-born children will depend on the coronavirus pandemic situation. 
So we'll start with Dimitri. Where should we start here? Let's start with the business travellers. Business travellers being allowed to return to Taiwan on special quarantine shortened time periods from June the 22nd. Well, that was an important announcement made earlier this year as, you know, uh, business owners hope for the opening of bubble travel between regions less affected by the outbreak uh, across Asia. So starting on Monday, business travelers can visit Taiwan and only undergo a, a five-day quarantine if they meet the uh, requirements you just mentioned. Hopefully, Taiwan business people could qualify for the same requirements, too, when travel starts with Hong Kong, Seoul, and then Tokyo. But nothing is confirmed so far. And this is my concern because, well, we've kind of extended this olive branch to other governments in the region. But so far, we haven't heard any confirmations yet. So it's a pity now that, well, uh, nobody can pick up the phone and call maybe Carrie Lam in, in Hong Kong and telling her how happy we are for them of successfully overcoming the uh, the COVID-19 crisis. And then, well, what can we, she do about that? But, well, that's a, that's an issue now. We're, we succeeded, but we maybe haven't uh, many friends who can stand for us and maybe let our business people enjoy the same the same short quarantine period. Yeah, you know, fundamentally, I think what's going to really see things pick up is when they have those quick tests. And I believe that they, they're targeting August to have tests where you can, where you get results on whether or not somebody has an infection or not within 15 minutes. And now if you can apply, say, two of those or three of those to make sure that it's, it's reliable, then, you know, travel can open up much more without having to go through, say, five-day quarantines. In other words, they, you know, they could give these tests, say, to, to uh, the local airlines, China Airlines, EVA, Etc. And they could actually apply the tests at the airports, presumably, for potential travelers into the country. And if they can, you know, if they show all negative results on the tests, then that would that would mean that travel could really pick up quickly. I think, but the it would probably be expensive, unfortunately. But that would really lift a lot of these restrictions. But it's good to see some travel is starting to happen again. Right, and Donovan, the students coming back, 2,238 foreign students from 11 countries and areas could be coming back soon, although the Education Minister, Pan Wen-jong, has not set a date for this. Yeah, the Ministry of Education has been kind of jumping the gun on some of this stuff. They've been saying that they want this, they want that, this should happen. But the the thing is, it's it's the Ministry of Health that really actually determines whether or not they can come back in and what the conditions are. It sounds like, from the reports that I saw, that they have gotten some agreement. In other words, the Ministry of Education sounded confident that this was going to happen. And considering that the business travel is, has started, there may be some grounds for that. But it's, it's very good to see the students coming back. That's the, the local universities absolutely need the income. This is good for, the society, you know, good for society here. And it's good for the, the campuses to have you know, that multicultural mix. But, Dimitri, no Chinese students. Well, that's a major concern because at the same time, uh, also this week, the National Development Council said that out of the blue, that it's considering removing the two-year work experience threshold for foreign, uh, new foreign university graduates who want to work in Taiwan. Um, these kids, 
maybe they don't have a Taiwanese idea, but their family is here, their friends are here. What we're looking into, and I hope the government needs more talent. And if we look at talented people, it doesn't matter where they are from. They are from the United States or China. We should treat people exactly the same way and the way we would like to be treated, by the way. Now, a few years ago, we looked at Taiwanese students as a major opportunity to, to, to keep all these 100 plus universities open in Taiwan. We built bridges. We wanted them to come here. Now we're kind of telling them that, well, well, if you don't come back, never mind. It, 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 it doesn't matter anymore. Well, if we want to substitute maybe uh, Chinese students now with foreign students, I'm even more, I, I'm even more concerned because um, the Taiwanese, the young graduates now might even feel that, well, uh, we we would favor them to come to Taiwan, even though we know that we're going to give them a higher salary. Uh, they will have better working conditions, maybe. So the Taiwanese also might feel at some point that it's not fair, right? It's not fair. They, they've worked hard. They're also graduating this year. And I don't think there will be many opportunities for, for young graduates this year. I can add a few things to that. Uh, one is that China has basically said that their students that are studying already can continue, but they're they're blocking new students from coming over. Um, now, as far as removing the two-year requirement, that's just a proposal. And often the way it works here is that those proposals tend to get watered down under uh, under political pressure. So I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, but the major, uh, the major problem for students, and, and I gave a speech a little while ago at Donghai, and I was talking to a student from Hong Kong, and I've met other students before with a similar problem. The two-year work requirement isn't really the major barrier. The major barrier is getting employment with a minimum salary. There's a minimum salary requirement of, last I checked, I think it was 47,800 NT a month. And young graduate students find it very hard to get a job that meets that threshold. So until that's removed, it's going to be, you know, the two-year requirements kind of neither here nor there. And the, the Ma administration had actually drafted plans to remove that, that minimum salary requirement. And when Tsai Ing-wen won the election, they passed that off to her administration to implement her administration initially was going to implement it, but they backed down under pressure from the new power party. Well, of course, Donovan, we also have the children of cross-strait marriages that are in China and don't have Taiwanese ID cards or residency here being stuck in China still. Yeah, that I, I have two different, very different opinions here. One is that they're children, they shouldn't be punished. Um, obviously, they've done nothing wrong. Uh, I kind of question why their parents didn't register them as Taiwanese. I, they they really should have done that because there's many good reasons why these children would want to have Taiwanese citizenship uh, over Chinese citizenship. It seems like an odd choice to pick Chinese citizenship over Taiwanese citizenship, and they've unfortunately made that poor choice. So... You know, I, 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 feel, I feel sorry for the kids being separated from their parents and to a certain degree from the parents being separated from their kids because that's an awful situation. There's, there's no way around that. But I really hope they learn their, their lesson in the future on making choices for their children as to their citizenship and making better ones. 
Yeah, I, I feel the same way too. But there is a reason why sometimes there is kind of a delay before they can apply for an uh, ID here. Is that maybe they were born in China, and after being born in China, when you come back to Taiwan, some people don't come back immediately, and then there is a delay. There is paperwork and everything, and this COVID nineteen crisis happened. Like that, out of the blue. So maybe yes, a lot of people were not were unprepared for this situation. But as you said, they shouldn't pay the price for these、uh, problems, cross traits with cross traits relations. Because apparently, of course, Dmitry, the Cross Strait Marriage Harmony Promotion Association, did say some of these children in China that were stuck there because obviously they couldn't come back here. Had already were in the process of getting documentation、yes. and residency here, but because they haven't been able to come back for over a hundred and God knows how many days, it's now put that in jeopardy, and they might have to start again. Exactly. Yes. Anyway, moving on, and the Council of Agriculture this week announced that Taiwan proper, as well as Penghu and Matsu, have been officially declared as foot and mouth disease free zones where vaccination is not practiced by the World Organization for Animal Health. And that move is expected to facilitate the resumption of fresh pork exports from Taiwan after a 24-year hiatus. Now, according to Agriculture Minister Chen Jiang, the ruling means that Taiwan could resume exports of fresh pork products sometime later this year. Now, Deputy Agriculture. Minister Huang Jingcheng says his agency believes the annual output value of Taiwan's fresh pork exports could exceed 10 billion NT, and he also says the main markets for export are likely to be Japan and the Southeast Asian area and countries therein. Now, Huang also told reporters this week that 5.51 million pigs are currently raised here in Taiwan, and he expects that number to increase by 1 million for export purposes only. While the head of the Bureau of Foreign Trade says he's already asked staff over. Overseas offices to review each country's regulations governing pork imports and to conduct market analysis. Now, if you want to know, the island's pig farming industry had export sales of 60 billion NT in 1996, but the island was hit by a foot and mouth disease outbreak a year later, which triggered an export ban on all fresh pork products. So, Dimitri, lot of money in pork, mate. Well, we could feel the excitement of the Council of Agriculture, and we understand that. But I think really they're too optimistic for、uh, three three main reasons. The main problem is that many producers had already anticipated Taiwan's comeback by cutting export prices before the official announcement was made earlier this year. Another problem is that we don't have any trade agreements with Japan or Southeast Asian countries, which are also major producers. And more importantly, the only market that has welcomed exports in recent years is China, which is facing an outbreak of African swine fever too. So, strangely enough, Taiwan farmers could have benefited from the ECFA signed a decade ago with Chinese authorities, but there is little hope that the government will admit that today. So Ekfa, he brought up Ekfa Donovan. Of course, yeah, makes a point. Dimitri made a point there. If Ekfa had been okayed, okay, maybe Taiwan could export its pork to China. Well, Ekfa was actually a, a series of, of arrangements. So、um, there, there is agriculture. There, there right now is actually quite a bit of agricultural、uh, exports going to China. So you know, this could be arranged. I, 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 you know, there's there are ways of doing that. Whether the government will or not is another question.、Um, I think it's very important for listeners to understand the difference between foot and mouth disease and foot in mouth disease, which is something that Coenza and the both American candidates for president suffer from. They're they're two separate things. Just want to make that clear.、Um, 
but also I think it's that I, what I'm hoping is that there will be uh, a lot more uptick in uh, sales of Taiwanese-style uh, sausages uh, overseas, which I think would be very popular, particularly in Southeast Asia. And I think we need to make sure that there are little bowls and uh, pairs of dice sent with them. But, of course, also the Taiwan is having a bit of dispute at the moment, Donovan, with the U.S. over pork imports, of course. So it doesn't look like Taiwan could be exporting pork to the U.S. anytime soon. Probably not. I mean, the, the, the issue there is ractopamine, which uh, the, is, is billed as a leanness-enhancing agent. And I think the, U, the, U, the EU blocks... Uh, imports from the U.S. over the ractopamine issue, and Taiwan has blocked a bunch of uh, uh, imports over over the same issue because I believe American pork, if it was allowed into the market, would probably undercut locally locally raised pork in terms of price. So, and but this has been kind of an issue that's been raised partly by uh, nationalists who want to uh, add some irritants to the relationship to the U.S., but also on food safety concerns. So the question is, is will Taiwan deal with this ractopamine issue? Because it's a major irritant between Taiwan and the U.S. in terms of getting a free trade agreement, which would be a huge boon for Taiwan. But the, the government recently came out and said they, they, they will deal with it scientifically. But again, there was that referendum uh, in 2018 where the public voted, a majority voted for keeping these kinds of re- restrictions or uh, ban- import bans in place. Right, Dimitri, I mean, obviously Taiwan pork doesn't have rectopamine or other lean in enhancers because they're banned here. How about Taiwan? You could look to Europe for pork exports. Well, Europe exports pork too. I mean, we're not... Uh, I mean, we've been out of the business for 24 years, but the business has been booming. And the major incentive now for uh, imports of Taiwan pork would be the price. But our export machine is just restarting. So without proper trade agreements, I don't know how you can get a better price than the Belgians or the, the Dutch or uh, and many other economies that rely on exporting pork. And the only market, as I just mentioned, that imports pork right now is China. And obviously, Taiwan doesn't want to go there. So the only the the other options we have is to subsidize those exports. So maybe the government is going to put a lot of money in subsidizing export to Singapore or Japan. Japan exports pork too, high-end products. How can we compete with that? Well, like I say, the sausages with the little bowls and dice, that, 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 that would be my bet. Taiwan sausages. Yeah, with bits of garlic. There we go. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Sausages with bits of garlic and you throw the dice whether you're going to get it for free or pay for it. Yes. Anyway, the DPP on Wednesday ended speculation as to who will be representing the party in the August 15th Kaohsiung mayoral by-election, with President Tsai Ing-wen telling reporters following a meeting of the party's Central Standing Committee that the DPP has picked Vice Premier Chen Chi Mai. No biggie surprise there, really. And Chen's resignation, well, he resigned as his post as Vice Premier and he began campaigning this morning at a fruit and vegetable market in Kaohsiung but prior to his campaigning and after he was announced to be the candidate 
President Tsai Ing-wen said the party opted to choose Chen because he is a Kaohsiung native who has decades-long experience in serving both local and central governments. Tsai also described Chen as the DPP's best candidate and the person most suitable for the job. Now, speaking immediately after the DPP announced that he was going to be the Kaohsiung mayoral candidate, Chen said, although he disappointed his supporters when he lost the November 2018 mayoral race to Hang Yu, he will fight for another chance to serve the people in his hometown this time. Now, the KMT, meanwhile, has yet to name its candidate for the by-election as of the time we're recording this show, and party officials are saying that they're currently in talks with seven potential candidates. And KMT officials have also said they're looking for a young person to nominate for the ballot. Now, the registration period for candidates running in the Kaohsiung mayoral by-elections actually begins tomorrow and runs through the 24th of June. So, no biggie surprise there, Donovan. Chen Chi Mai going to run as candidate for the DPP in Kaohsiung. But the, D- the KMT, of course, looking for a younger person to nominate in the ballot. Yeah, I, I saw Chen uh, campaigning on the news this morning. And uh, he was working very, very hard to remind everybody just how wooden and lifeless a candidate he is. Um, but he is actually, I think, a good choice. He, he, after the 2018 election, when everyone, of course, was quite stunned, it was in, I believe, May of uh, about five or six months after the election had been held and Hangoyu won. It, the, there was a poll held that showed that if the election were reheld, that uh, he that Chen would have won it, and so I think he's got a, a good chance to win. Now another thing that's actually kind of good is he he's a right now in the wake of the pandemic. Right now, I think that the way that the government responded with a kind of nerdy, wonky sort of approach to everything, and I think that's kind of hot right now, and, and he definitely fits that image. So I think that they'll look to him as a candidate for good governance, responsible, wonky, not very charismatic. Um, now, interestingly, though, uh, one up-and-comer in the party, this is a, I saw in a local news report, and I haven't seen it confirmed yet, but they're looking, uh, the, the talk is that Enoch Wu, who ran in Taipei against um, uh, Jiang Wanan and lost, but he still got a lot of media attention, will be the spokesperson for Chen's campaign. Now, over on the KMT side, I suspect that number seven has been uh, brought down. I saw that was reported in the Taipei Times. But there was uh, a local news report I noticed that said that they are, they, they've set two requirements. One is that the candidate needs to be 50 or under, and the other is they're ruling out city councillors. So I know that there was at least one Kaohsiung city councillor who threw her hat into the ring, and that would remove her from the running. So I suspect that number seven is probably lower now. Um, but th- this is actually a very good choice on the part of Johnny Chang, the KMT chair, to pick somebody who's under 50 and run them because right now the DPP has a lot of stars in pretty much every age group. The KMT is pretty desperate for people under 50. I can only name two who have national profile off the top of my head. And they need more than that if they want to forge ahead with, you know, having viable electo- you know, electable candidates going forward. So by picking somebody who's under 50 for the Kaohsiung run, whether they win or not, this gives whoever this person is a chance to show themselves on a national stage. E- again, even if they lose, 
national attention will have been paid to this person. So this gives them a, the KMT a chance, at least, uh, and obviously this person will have to carry through with it, but to build some name recognition and some star power uh, to a national audience. Well, I would agree with that, with what you just said about grooming the next generation of leaders within the KMT. We know that the uh, ruling party is extremely uh, successful in running campaigns, and they've prepared for these campaigns. And, it, well, even if you lose in a major election, you get a second chance one and a half year later. So that means how successful and powerful the campaign machine of the ruling party is. But for the KMT, as you said, yes, it's time to groom a new generation and to be very more and much more careful when you pick a leader to run in an election. My only concern is whatever the results of the elections is, if, well, if uh, Mr. Chen Shimai is, is elected uh, next, next month, actually, it's going to be extremely fast, he will still have his hands tied behind his back because he won't be able to, well, we, we, we 100% sure that he will get all the financial support from the central government he might need for his policies, but he might not be able to do something more. And if it, the policy at the national level for, for example, exporting your uh, agricultural product, if we're still at the wait and see level, well, he will ha he will face exactly the same problems Kaohsiung faced four years ago. So, well, that's the thing with an election. There is always something unknown and a candidate can, well, be elected, maybe by accident or luck. But sometimes it's a change for, for, it's a chance for a change in the, in the, in the city. Well, it didn't work out, but we still hope that maybe see something more balanced and a, a new generation of leaders within the KMT that would maybe have a, a more, um, um, stable and something more, uh, rational dialogue between the, the, the ruling party and the opposition party. Something, something I can add to that is I think Johnny Chang, unlike his predecessor, uh, Wu Duanyi, he's, I think he's a lot smarter and a lot more savvy than Wu Duanyi was. Wu probably would have picked some, you know, 70 some odd year, year, year old party worthy. And Johnny Chang genuinely seems to be trying to reform the KMT. Now, I, it looks to me from what I'm seeing is that he's getting a lot of pushback on certain things. Like he, want, he, he specifically, when he was running for KMT chair, he specifically came out and talked about possibly removing the 92 consensus, moving closer to the U.S. It looks like, and we won't know until today, unfortunately after the show is recorded, but they're going to come out with the Reform Committee's uh, recommendations on cross-strait policies. It looks like... Johnny Chang's efforts to move toward the mainstream will probably be kind of shot down. Uh, it looks like the reform committee is going to stick by the 92 consensus. And so Chang's efforts to move the party toward the mainstream on that issue, it looks like, won't happen. But he's trying. But I know it's pretty clear the party's going to let him do things like you know, reform their their marketing online and you know pick younger candidates the question is whether he can get reforms past the old guard on more serious substantive issues and that is looking like he's running into some serious headwinds anyway we have to take a short break now but we will return after these rather important commercials
Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And Taiwan has appeared in the new memoir written by former U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton. And the Wall Street Journal is citing Bolton as saying that U.S. President Donald Trump downplayed the importance of U.S. obligations to Taiwan and was particularly dyspeptic about Taiwan, having listened to Wall Street financiers who had gotten rich off mainland China investments. Now, the Wall Street Journal is also citing Bolton as writing that one of Trump's favorite comparisons was to point to the tip of one of his sharpies and say, this is Taiwan, then point to his desk in the Oval Office and say, this is China. So much for American commitments and obligations to another Democratic ally. So, Dimitri, there we go. People, of course, for the past several years since Donald Trump took over the White House have been touting how much he adored Taiwan and praised Taiwan and loved Taiwan and wanted to help Taiwan. It seems like Taiwan actually gave him a real bad case of indigestion. Well, that was funny because he was not the only one and bragging on on Twitter, especially on Twitter, but other social media about this special relationship that Taiwan has with the United States, which I, I, I'm i 100% sure is. There is this special relationship. But on social media, the way we spoke about Taiwan, Taiwan democracy, and how Taiwan could challenge China and everything, since the uh, the news came out yesterday... We haven't seen um, people from the ruling party or even those supporters of pro-Taiwan legislators in the U.S. coming out and say anything in support for Taiwan. Well, that that's that's disappointing, but it's also not not surprising. It means that well, the United States it's a m major economy. It has its own agenda, and we should maybe sometimes we shouldn't overplay. Uh, our hand in uh, U.S. affairs, and maybe we should maybe be more careful before we speak. So we know that the president is going to uh, make a major speech later today at the Copenhagen uh, summit, and uh, well, we will see maybe what will the president say, and maybe um, what U.S. authorities will also say during the same summit. So, Donovan, do you think when Taiwan sends its next batch of face masks to America, they maybe should put some packets of Alka-Seltzer in there? Well, and some Sharpies. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's... Okay, first we need to caution about one thing. We're not 100% sure that Bolton's account is correct. It does sound correct, but we need to caution this. This is not you know, independently verified here. Um, and he does have a history of exaggerating things to make a point. Um, but let's just, just assuming that what he says is correct, and it does sound like something Trump would say or do, it, that would confirm the wide, kind of widespread view that Trump himself has a very transactional view toward foreign policy. And I, I remember when he abandoned the Kurds in Syria, there was a kind of a collective feeling of dread here in Taiwan, you know, that maybe we're next. Now, the Trump, so basically we, right now we have a situation that, assuming what Bolton says is true, is that the U.S. President, Donald Trump, is, is not somebody that Taiwan can trust or rely on. However, his administration has been packed with appointees that Trump chose who are very pro-Taiwan. So his administration has been very good for Taiwan, but Trump himself is a big worry. And as Bolton said, and pretty much every writer who's written on Trump, you know, who is inside the White House, has referred to him as being erratic. Now, compare and contrast that to Joe Biden, who's the Democratic candidate. He's not known to be so erratic, but he has a, a history of being fairly accommodationist with China and not a particularly good friend uh, of Taiwan's.
Now, he, though, probably wouldn't randomly or abruptly abandon Taiwan, so he'd be a little bit more reliable in that sense. The major worry, and this is something that I've heard from a lot of experts that I've talked to, there's a lot of concern that if Biden wins, he would pick an administration filled with a lot of the people that were in the Obama administration who are definitely not very pro-Taiwan, at least compared to the Trump administration. So we've got kind of a situation here where the two candidates for president, you can get a, you know, if, if Trump wins in November, we have a, a, a president that Taiwan can't trust or rely on, but a, a pro-Taiwan administration, or Biden wins, and then we have a president who's probably more trustworthy, but an administration that's not very pro-Taiwan. So those are kind of, I feel like, the stakes for Taiwan coming up in November. So, Dimitri, Taiwan's still stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, I wouldn't define the... Uh, it's not about being pro-Taiwan or against Taiwan. Even the, the Biden administration wouldn't be uh, against Taiwan per se. We're, we're far... It's not a zero-sum game here. If you're not against me, you or for me, something like that. So I did say less, less yeah. pro-Taiwan, yeah. But but the thing is, Taiwan has built its uh, foreign policy and especially the uh, cross-trace relation and rely mostly and almost only on the United States, which is, I think, more worrisome... No Knowing that things can change. So, well, sometimes we need to take a step back and maybe our leaders should also think twice before they speak. And that's why I mentioned the speech today. What is the president going to say? If we move forward, we're going against China. Well, there is a sense of in the region and in Europe and the United States that, well, they want to ask. They have a lot of questions to ask to, to China. So, well, we need to be more cautious. Maybe that's the thing we can learn from what happened w with the upcoming book of, uh, of Bolton. We'll have to wait to see if it's published or not, won't we? Maybe it'll just be chapped in a big chipper and turned into pulp. We don't know yet. Anyway, moving on to something completely different, that being prostitution. And Zhonghua County councillors this week proposed legalising prostitution in regulated zones that would be established for sex workers. And apparently 15 councillors from across party lines made the call, arguing that it would reduce crime, give unskilled men and women access to economic resources in a safe environment, and of course, increase tax revenues. Now, an amendment to the Social Order Maintenance Act was passed by lawmakers in 2011, and that does in fact allow local governments to establish special zones to legally manage the sex trade. However, no county or city has yet taken any action on that, despite countless proposals to do so over the years. So Donovan, of course, Jungwa County had a rather vibrant red light district once upon a time in a township there. Yeah, Huatan Township used to have a fairly famous uh, red light district, but of course, obviously, that got shut down when... Um, most prostitution was made illegal. Technically, there is some pros legal prostitution going on, but the, the prostitutes who got licensed a really long time ago, and there's like two or something up in Nan Nanto, and they're you know, in their 60s or 70s at this point. But the, what's interesting, I think, about this proposal is that it came across party lines, and I think that's significant because it provides sort of some political cover for them to get this done. However, only 15 uh, uh, county councillors have signed up for, uh, signed on this, for this publicly, and there's 54 councillors in total. Now, that doesn't mean that others, when the proposal comes up, may, may vote for it or they may not. So at this point, it's still kind of a big, a big if. But it's very interesting to see if this happens. 
Well, I'm kind of puzzled by this proposed legislation because I think it would should first happen at the national level, not at the county level. And second, we hope that maybe there would be some kind of a, a dialogue and we would maybe talk more about these issues uh, in the media, in public circles. It's not something you impose on people. Well, we're going to legalize prostitution like we did for the same-sex marriage. We legalized same-sex marriage, but for years, this was a major issue we discussed and the media addressed and we covered in different reports because you can legalize prostitution. But I was just I'm just wondering, uh, we're not in the Netherlands here, right? So what would maybe a young Taiwanese high school or college students, how do they look at prostitutes? Uh, would would they tell their friends they go to see prostitutes? It's 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 interesting this topic. We've we've we barely mentioned this topic. We know that it exists, and but they won't mention that in school. And now, if you legalize prostitution, it's like you solve all the problems. I'm the, I think the problems would remain. And Donovan, do you see Jianghua County as being a conservative county or a more forward-looking county where this could be okayed? Well, that, that's actually an interesting question uh, because, uh, well, let me just add something very quickly to, say, to what Dimitri said and going back to what you said in the intro. Actually, nationally, this is a legal thing to do. They set this up in 2011 where the, it, it, they made it legal nationally, but local towns, towns and counties need to set up the regulatory framework within their own jurisdiction on how it's going to be applied locally, and no city or county has actually gone through the motions of setting up the legal procedures. Um, so as far as in your, to, to your question, the interesting thing is, is that I saw some reports in the local media here where uh, like the headline was, you know, older, you know, older residents look back with, you know, fondness on the old days, because older Taiwanese all remember this. This was a you know fairly common. It was open, legal, or more or effectively legal for for a really long time. So in a sense, it, some of the more conservative elements within Zhanghui may be for it because to them it's not an unusual thing. They grew up with this as a normal thing. So it, it, it's quite possible that younger. The younger voters in Zhanghua may be more against it than their older counterparts. I don't know for sure, but that's actually a possibility. And now, on some younger members, now, I, I, I may actually be for this because right now, prostitution exists, and it's not a very safe profession. Uh, I've seen cases where prostitutes have been murdered in Zhanghua. And so, obviously, setting up a legal regulatory environment makes it much more likely to be a safer profession. Um, and so some younger voters may come on board for that. But what I notice is interesting is that the NPP city council was not among those 15 who supported this. My only concern is that uh, we've heard on the news and they've uh, police, uh, police, local police breaking uh, prostitution rings in Taiwan. It happens all the time. My only concern and my main concern is that these prostitutes come all from China, Southeast Asia. So um, it, it leads to human trafficking and uh, lots of very difficult and important issues. So, well, I think they would just I hope they would just think twice. And another concern I have is how maybe the local public and the media would react. We're not in Amsterdam here. We we see 
families going in the red district and taking pic- taking pictures. Imagine that in Taiwan, if you have the media going into those new red districts, that wouldn't. That's not Taiwan. So I'm just concerned. I'm really concerned about this issue. Dimitri, to be honest with you, mate, I think if they ever opened one, the media in Taiwan being so fickle, it would spend the first three days when the law went into effect and they opened the areas in the areas and then bugger off somewhere else because something else would have happened. That's very likely to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, before we go this week, we talked about it last Friday, but the Daja Matsu pilgrimage has been winding its way through central Taiwan this week on its 340-kilometre procession through Taichung, Zhanghua, Yunlin and Jai. Now, of course, the event was scaled down this year due to the coronavirus restrictions. And, of course, it comes to an end this Sunday. But, of course, there were concerns about possible violence as competing temple groups and gangs could have battled it out for the chance to touch or carry the palanquin on which the statue of Matsu was sitting. Now, apparently, Donovan, the underpass in Zhanghua, it went smoothly. There was no bushwhack there this year. Yeah, it's the Minsheng underpass in Zhanghua City, where every year violence breaks out, um, sometimes more serious than others. But basically, gangs of often black T-shirt clad uh, young toughs, often associated with various temples, they will battle it out. And what they want to do is they want to, yeah, as you said, touch the palanquin, get close to it. And in, in previous years, the palanquin has even been stolen and carried off with and taken to local businesses to bless uh, those before it was handed back to the actual procession. This year, Zhanghua set up a cordon. They, they got over 1,200 police and set up a cordon to keep the crowd away from the palanquin itself. So the palanquin went through under the Minsheng uh, underpass in five minutes this year, which is unheard of. And there was no violence, although a couple of police officers got burned from fireworks. However, there was some violence in Datsun Township, but it looks like it was just some, uh, to use a modern hip phrase, some minor fisticuffs. Well, that's well. That's a lot of people were um, waiting and expecting for this uh, the procession the procession this year. So, well, we're I think it worked pretty smoothly. And in terms of uh, because of this uh, COVID nineteen outbreak, um, the uh, health authorities everybody was happy with what's happening so far. So, well, I think it was successful. Or success it was successful this year again and. It would be um, much bigger in, uh, in, you know, it has a much bigger scale maybe next year. You'll see the violence returning next year, Donovan. Probably, although they, they may try and uh, repeat the trick on the Minsheng uh, underpass next year because it was so successful this year. Um, but who knows, maybe next year, the year after, there's a giant statue of Matsu that Taichung City is, is reviving plans for. And the the base for it is there, and it's just south of the Daja Jinlan Matsu Temple, where the pilgrimage sets off. And so right now the Taichung City government is, is working to try and build, I believe it'll be over 80, uh, 70 meters tall with a statue and over 10 meters tall with a base that's already built. And that was looking out to sea, of course, isn't it? When it's finished, it will look out to sea. Towards uh, Fujian. There you go. Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Buras. Good evening, everyone. And on the telephone by Donovan Smith in Taichung.
Great to be here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. Now, there won't be a show next Friday, June the 26th, as it's the Dragon Boat Festival long weekend holiday. And of course, as is the norm, we'll be chowing down on sticky rice triangles and doing as little as possible simply because we can. But don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.